Dear God, we are thankful and uh, blessed and honored and privileged to be able to gather in your presence. And we just pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight, that you would um, open up our hearts to receive what you would say to us through your spirit. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, um, so this week, you know, Wednesday nights through the Bible, um, we hit Proverbs chapter 8 through 28. Next week, we're going to hit Proverbs uh, chapter 29 through Isaiah chapter 7. So next week, I plan to do an entire teaching on Proverbs 31 and Song of Solomon. It'll be wonderful. Um, but um, that was sarcastic, by the way. Uh, but anyways, so this week, it, Proverbs is kind of a weird section to teach on because you get into... You know, the history books of the Old Testament. And there's, there's a little bit of a narrative, right? There's a, there's a trajectory, and we're going somewhere with a train of thought, and we can track it. And we can say, okay, you know, as we're opening our chapters, we're here, and we're watching this person progress to here. And Proverbs really doesn't have any of that. There's very little actual flow to Proverbs. There's a little bit. Um, Proverbs 1 through 9 is its own chunk, really. And then 10, chapter 10, really, in a lot of ways, is like when Proverbs starts. Um, 1 through 9 is, is Solomon's introduction. And so I was trying to just pray about what to do and what to say. Um, and anyways, so I was trying to listen to the Lord, and we'll see if I heard correctly. But um, tonight we're going to wind up jumping all over the place. Um, you might be asking how that's different from any other week, and it's really not. But um, just collectively, we'll wind up in Proverbs. We're going to wind up in James and Ephesians and Colossians and John. Um, so we'll just kind of get started. But uh, Proverbs really is the book of wisdom, right? It's, uh, it's all or mostly all written by Solomon, and it's uh, passing along wisdom, uh, primarily to his son, uh, is who the book is kind of dedicated to. And so we're looking at as we're looking at Proverbs, looking at, okay, what is, how do we become wise? I'm sure what Proverbs is offering. And it's an interesting start. It's an interesting premise because really everyone understands universally that there is wisdom and there is foolishness. We just all disagree on what that is, right? There are certain things that people would say, oh, of course that's right, or of course that's wrong. But we sometimes don't stop to consider the context in which we're examining them, right? For example, you could ask, um, by and large, almost any person uh, in the world today uh, were the Nazis a good ruling party or a bad ruling party? And the answer would be bad. Right? That's almost uh, universally accepted right now. And I, I believe that as well. But it's in a context, right, where in the 1920s, uh, if you were in Germany, the Nazi party might not have been your favorite party, but they might have been, you know, there was some... Uh, it could be politically advantageous to be in that party. There was, there, you know, there was, there was a context where it was a little bit hard to, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be foolish to judge someone in the past based on the hindsight that we have as history has unfolded, based on their decisions at the time. But, so everyone is trying to grasp wisdom. So what we're doing as the world is looking for wisdom, Proverbs is really going out of the world. It's saying, okay, wait, here's the wisdom from God. And so the wisdom from God is non-changeable, right? So it's really, it's a, it's a beautiful anchor point for our lives. And so as we're looking at Proverbs, looking at, okay, how do I be wise? How do I walk in wisdom, all right? And there's some really practical stuff in Proverbs, right? Um, there's, you know, Proverbs says, okay, if you want to be wise, don't co-sign on a loan, 
All right? Um, don't get drunk. Don't make promises you can't keep. Um, don't cohabitate with somebody unless you're married to, with them, to them. Right? There's some very straightforward instructions in Proverbs, but there's also sometimes um, a little more broad generalities. And so tonight, instead of trying to hit any one of these specific points of wisdom, um, I want us to try and go a little bit of a big picture. So the main verse we're going to be looking at tonight is Proverbs 13, verse 20. And um, if you guys want to flip there, uh, I won't ask you to flip to every other spot tonight. But 13, verse 20. Um, this is Solomon talking. And um, he says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We were talking about this out at dinner tonight before we got started. And Anna asked what I was going to teach on. And I said, 1320. She said, is that that uh, he who walks with wise men will be wise verse? And I said, yeah. And she had, you know, that moment when you guess the Bible verse and you get it right. And there's that like, and she goes, so my first thought is, is that why you always sit with us on Wednesday nights? And, um, but be that as it may. So he who walks with wise men will be wise. I really, really love this word walks because sometimes we can, we have this idea that I want to pursue wisdom and I want to grasp wisdom or understand wisdom and we can put it into this, um, this heroic quest type of mindset, right? Where wisdom is the great thing that you have to find. And it is in a sense because Solomon talks about, um, you know, get wisdom, get understanding. Above everything else that you get, pursue wisdom, right? And so it is that, that great object. It is that great treasure. But it doesn't say... You know, he who conquers will find wisdom. It says he who walks with the wise. And there's this implication of wisdom can be gained in everyday life. Right? And it's not... um, And there's a sense of fellowship there. Right? There's a sense of just absorbing. Where it's not this massive undertaking that we have to force... We don't have to make ourselves wise or foolish. We become wise or foolish, right? And it's based largely upon the associations that we connect ourselves with. And so I like also that the word walk implies a certain amount of closeness, right? There's a certain amount of, you know, if I'm walking with you, there is a certain amount of distance at which I'm walking with you and a certain amount of distance at which we're kind of on the same road. Right? I have to be within a certain range in order to be walking with you. And so if you're going to be wise, it's a process that doesn't happen in isolation. Right? And that can be challenging because as Americans, we have this, you know, this lone ranger ideal where you know, real, real wisdom, real manhood, real whatever you want to call it, is found or can be found by yourself. Right? You can get your own gear and go do your own thing, but it's walking with wise men. So it's, it's a multitude. It's, it's a group thing. And wisdom is like that. And so walking is, is, requires a little bit of closeness. Being wise is going to require us to get close to people. Right? He doesn't say, he who skypes with wise men will be wise. There's a certain amount of, you know, we have to be willing to engage in an up-close level. When you walk with someone and it's hot, you can smell their sweat. Right? There's a certain amount of, of just gritty everyday life that happens when you're walking with someone. And that's what we're getting told here. That's how you become wise. So there's a certain, there's a, you know, I don't want to keep hitting this point too hard. But if we're going to become wise by walking with the wise, we have to walk with the wise. Right? 
And so we don't have to sit and have coffee with the wise necessarily. It's not that this can only be found in you know, pockets of devotion or pockets of studying. We can do this while we're walking, right? While we're engaging in life. And that's really, I mean, that's what church is, right? That's why Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together of the believers. Because we need this, right? If we want to be wise, we need this interaction with other people. We're, church is not just we can come together and sing our songs and listen to an hour message and then leave, right? It's not the pre-lunch. It's what we do as part of acclimating ourselves with other wise people and being able to exchange in that interface of, you know, somebody has wisdom for my situation because they've lived through something similar. I actually have some wisdom to their situation because I've lived through what they're struggling with. And we have this opportunity now to encourage each other and we are all walking together. So that's kind of the, the big picture of what I want us to think about tonight. All right? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So as we're looking at wisdom, though, I thought it might be helpful um, to take a little bit of just a, a broad, big picture view of what is wisdom and what's, what's a little bit of the process of gaining biblical wisdom. Because there's the obvious element of, okay, walking with the wise, but how do you determine if you're walking with a wise person? All right? How do you determine if, you know, because a lot of awful ideas are packaged to sound very wise, right? I mean, incredibly wise, but, uh, but they're absolutely bogus. And so I want us to go through, and we're going to be jumping through here a little bit, but I want us to consider what is wisdom as the Word of God defines it, because that's really what separates Proverbs from other books of wisdom and other ancient writings, is Proverbs, as we understand it as Christians, Proverbs is the words of God telling us, here is wisdom, right? So we're not just saying what's, you know, what are good life metaphors and, oh, you know, ancient Chinese proverbs and all these things. Um, we're saying, no, what, is, what does God have to say about wisdom? So um, if we jump over to, you don't have to necessarily, I'll read it, but um, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it says, in all wisdom and insight... He, that is God the Father, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. That's Jesus Christ. So in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. So what is wisdom? Well, as we're starting out here, we understand that God the Father, in his wisdom, has made his will knowable to us. So we understand that God's wisdom is not just existent, it's accessible. It's something that we can actually have access to. Well, so how do we have access to it? Well, the book of James talks about it. Uh, James actually has quite a bit to say on wisdom, but um, in chapter 1 as well, starting in verse 5, he says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself, says, hey, if you lack wisdom, the formula is really pretty simple. You just have to ask for it. But you have to ask expecting that God 
is able and will give it. He doesn't say you just have to ask. He says you have to ask expectantly. So if we want to absorb the wisdom of God, we're going to have to be asking for it. We're going to have to ask for it on a, probably a pretty regular basis, right? Because walks, he who walks with wise men, that's an, that's an action that's happening, right? That's not he who walked with wise men. It's he who walks. It's the man who is walking. So if we're going to be asking God for wisdom, it's not just a one-time, oh, yeah, the Lord gave me wisdom and now I'm done. It's, no, Lord, I need wisdom right now. I need wisdom in this situation, in this life circumstance. So we have to come to the Lord asking for wisdom and asking expectantly for wisdom, right? We can't just say, God, I want to hear from you. Still, you know, we have to, if we're going to expect God to speak to us, then we have to live like we are expecting God. So how do we live expectantly? Well, if you want God to speak to you, a really solid first step is to read the message that he sent you, right? If you, people say, you know, if you say, God, I want to speak, I, w- I want you to speak to me, right? Then that's, that's great. He spoke to you. He's speaking to you. His word is alive and active, right? So if you want to come expectantly, open up the word on a regular basis, expectantly. Expect God to speak to you through his word, Expect God to want to say something to you, right? Come to the Word of God ready to receive, right? And this is, you know, this is a challenge for me. And the Lord's honestly been working with me on this even in just the last few weeks. Um, you know, how often do I just come to the Word and I'm reading it just to say that I did? And I'm reading it because it's part of my morning routine. Uh, I can do it. I'm a fast reader, so I can read through it, everything you know, that I need pretty quickly and get on to my day. That's not coming expectantly. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Right? I want that to be my prayer. I want that to be our prayer. God, I want you to open my eyes right now because I believe that there are amazing things in here that are speaking, that, that are ready to speak to me and ready to equip me. But I... I need to have my eyes open because I recognize that I can't see them. I recognize that I'm blinded, right? And so we've got to ask the Lord to open our eyes, and then we've got to actually come to the Word. So we got to, okay, so we're coming to the Word. Well, what's another element of, of interacting with wisdom? How else do we process wisdom? Well, we talked about it on Sunday, um, the book of Colossians. Colossians is a great book, by the way, if you guys haven't caught that yet from Sunday's. I love the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians 2, verse 3. He's talking about Jesus Christ, and he's um, you know, hoping that the people will be encouraged, and, and he's hoping that they'll come to a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. So Paul's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, by the way, in Jesus Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All is a pretty specific word that means all, right? So as Paul is just telling us, Jesus Christ is fully capable. He is everything we need for wisdom in this world. So therefore, 
we can not be deluded with persuasive arguments. Or he goes on in, in uh, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Do you realize that if we get our focus off of Jesus Christ and start looking for at, to any other source for wisdom, we are going to be opening ourselves up to deception. Right? We're told that Satan can masquerade like an angel of light. Right? People have this idea of Satan sometimes. You know, there's, there's the old caricature of the red guy with the horns and the, and the pronged fork. And, and that's, really, um, that's really not it at all. Satan is gorgeous. Right? Satan is beautiful. Satan is the most attractive thing you've ever seen. And he can look just like an angel of light. Right? You know, and, and so we've got to understand if we are taking our focus off of anything else, if we're looking to philosophy, if we're looking to anything that the world is holding to as its source of wisdom, then we are going to find ourselves deluded and deceived. And we are opening ourselves up for all kinds of weird stuff, right? I mean, the church right now is having to wrestle with this on so many fronts because the church for so long has said, and I'm just talking about kind of the, the global church, the church for so long has tried to incorporate just a little bit of the world's philosophy over here and a little bit of the world's philosophy over here and, you know, just a little bit of, of understanding here. But, you know, because when it says Jesus is the source of all wisdom and knowledge, it might not actually mean all. It might be a little more vague or that could be metaphoric or whatever. And all of a sudden, the church does not know where we stand. Right? We just, all of a sudden, the church is incapable of answering some of these questions. And the, the problem, the frustrating part, is that the Word of God is fully capable of answering these questions. I mean, you think about just the social problems in our, in our country today. Right? Um, racial tensions or ethnic tensions. Does the Bible have anything to say about different, uh, you know, cultures and about ethnic tensions and how we should understand that as Christians? Absolutely. Right? Gender tensions. Is there gender tension in the world right now? Yes. Right? I mean, we have this whole movement. It's called the LGBTQ plus movement. And it's trying to convince us. It's trying to convince the church that there is one proper response, and that is full, unconditional endorsement. Right? Well, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Well, actually, the Bible does. Actually, the Bible has quite a lot to say about that. Right? Um, does, you know, do we have, does a woman have the right over her own body? Well, that's one way to phrase it, right? And notice that that's, boy, that sounds like not that awful, right? You know, do you ever, and, and, and we got to be aware of this as Christians because, you know, philosophy and empty deception, those things sound incredibly smart. So as we're going out in the world, we have to understand, I heard a, a teacher say one time, he said, the battle over ideals is the battle over the definition of words. And what he meant by that was, if someone can change what a word means, then all of a sudden, we can be having a conversation, and I can make you think you're agreeing with me, and I'm actually undercutting you. Right? It was like, right now, some people talk about the pro-life movement versus the pro-choice movement. But that's a little bit... Confusing. Some people like to talk about the abortion movement or the anti-abortion movement, right? Well, some people like to talk about the women's health movement or the anti-women's health movement. Those are three different ways of phrasing the exact same thing at heart. But boy, you know, I mean, do you not support women's health? Do you want every woman in the world to be unhealthy? Wow, that is so insensitive of you. 
right? I mean, that's, you know, it, it gets packaged that way, right? But on the flip side, the culture is trying to change the narrative where we want to say, no, I'm pro-life. And what's the opposite of life? Death, right? So if you're not pro-life, does that make you pro-death? And they say, no, 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 it doesn't make us pro-death. It makes us pro-women's health. And we say, well, no, 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 it makes you pro-abortion. That makes you supporting the murder of an unborn child. And they say, no, 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 no. We're supporting a woman's right to take care of her own body. And we're saying, no, 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 no. When a child is in a woman's body, the child is not the woman's body. Or as Ronald Reagan once said, most people I know who are pro-choice have already been born, right? Um, and that's the reality. But there's this, I, there's this whole shift in the culture that's, that's happening over words, and they're getting packaged, right? Our culture right now, we keep talking about LGBTQ+. And as Christians, we should be aware of a couple things. First of all, we should be aware of the plus. Because if we start accepting a little bit of compromise with the Word of God, the plus never goes away. And there's always a little more that can be added, right? There's always a little more. There's always a little more we could do to test the limits of human capability, right? But notice, even as a culture, we call it LGBTQ. Why do we call it that? And this is across the board. Um, this is even the, the most adamant advocates for this movement call it by its initials. Why? Well, in part, because if you were to say each one of those words fully, it's not just that it takes longer. It's that when you hear those words, there's, a, there's still a deep down in the human conscience, you hear each word associated with each of those letters, and you say, you know, that just, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And so if we, we soften it, we just give it some letters, right? We just make it, you know, everything, we, Americans love our acronyms, right? We're A-OK, -okay and F-Y-I, and, you know, LOL, and LGBTQ, and, and it's all of a sudden, it's just packaged in, and we got this nice little philosophy and this empty deception, and if we are not really anchoring ourselves to the fact that in Jesus Christ are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge, then we are setting ourselves up to find a point of compromise, right? Because honestly, I mean, there's a point in time in which it would just be a heck of a lot simpler to just say, whatever, do your own thing. Right? As long as you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And I can think what I want to think, and you can think what you want to think. But that's not how the Word of God works. Right? Because the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's piercing to the vision of soul and marriage. It's, it's cutting into who you are. It's cutting into that, you know, the definition of what it means to be human, when you have your body, your soul, and your spirit. The Word of God is penetrating into that, and that will make people uncomfortable. And so it's really tempting to repackage this. But you know what? If we want to have the wisdom of God, we don't get to repackage what God said. Because we have to, like James said, ask God and ask God expectantly. If we're asking God to give us his wisdom, then we have to be willing to accept that God's wisdom might exist on a different plane than our wisdom does. Right? God might actually be smarter than we are. And so if we're asking for God's wisdom, we have to be okay with that concept and willing to say, you know what? I want to understand what your word, what your spirit has to say to me about this issue. And I want to understand how to then communicate that in love effectively in a non-compromising sort of a way to my neighbors around me, right? We have to, we have to you know, we're, we're living in a time where we've got to tread all these waters that we didn't used to have to tread. Right? There's all these situations, and, and we're getting pushed 
uh, you know, we're not getting persecuted, but we're getting pushed as American Christians in ways that we're just really not used to. And so we're having to think through this a little bit more and say, okay, wait, what does the Bible really say? Right? And perhaps more importantly, does what the Bible have to say really matter? Is it really worthwhile? And is it really the Word of God? Because if it is the Word of God, then we should expect it to have a transformative power that goes against what the world is going to hold up. Right? If it's the Word of God, that's what matters. So, we're, you know, tonight we're existing with the assumption, because uh, we've already spent a lot of time as a church covering this stuff, that we believe it is the Word of God. We believe the whole of it is the Word of God. <clears throat> we believe uh, it's without error. We believe it's without fault, right? So, we're looking at all this, and we're, we're understanding that in Jesus... In the Word, in the Holy Spirit, exists all that we need. Right? So how do we, how do we tap into that? How do we access that? Okay, you know, Jesus has everything I need for wisdom. Well, what is that? So what? Right? If we can say it that way. Okay, so yeah, so Jesus is really wise. Okay, sure, he's God. So how does that apply to what I'm doing today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, if you go to John chapter 15, I realized this week, I think I flipped to John 15 like every week. And it's not like I'm trying to, but it just keeps coming up. Um, but John chapter 15, if I can get there, um, Jesus says, I'm the vine, verse 5, and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's speaking metaphorically here, but he says, you know what? I'm the vine. I'm the root and source of all real life that you're going to have in this world. You're a branch. You're connected to the root system through me. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's not a condition. It's a, it's just, it's a rule. It's a fact. Right? Fruit cannot help growing on a healthy branch. A branch cannot help being healthy if it's connected to a healthy tree and healthy soil. Right? So Jesus says, so we understand from Colossians that in Jesus is all wisdom and knowledge. From John, we understand that if we are abiding with Jesus Christ, then we can't help but absorb that. It's like, too bad, so sad, right? You're going to get wise. Congratulations. If you're choosing to abide. If you're choosing to abide expectantly, right? If we're walking with wise men, well, who's the wisest man to ever live? Jesus Christ, right? God and man in full unison, right? In him are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. So if we abide in Christ, well, what's the simplest way to abide in Christ? Abide in the word of God. Fellowship with the Lord. The Lord is interested in relationships. Right? We've talked about this before. Jesus does not say, I am the factory and you are the CNC machine. Right? And a good CNC machine in a factory will spit out parts. He does not give us manufacturing metaphors when he describes his relationship with us. Because manufacturing is all about production. And can you make it work? Fruit is all about 
just letting it bear, right? The branch abides, fruit just happens. It's cool, right? So Jesus is not giving us this whole list of regulations, but he's opening that invitation to us to say, each one of us, right? If, if our prayer becomes Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word, our eyes are going to get opened, right? And we're going to behold wondrous things from his word. And that word is living and active, right? If we say, God, I want to walk with wise men. I want to be wise. So I'm not going to forsake the assembling together of the brethren. And guess what? We're going to be walking with wise men. And guess what happens as an extension of that? We're going to be wise, right? So do you, it's not like this hardcore, you know, doctrinal stance that we have to to really knock out. It's just you fellowship with Jesus Christ and you abide in the word of God. So as we're wrapping up, I thought it might be just a little bit helpful um, to just do a real quick kind of jump through the book of Proverbs and see what are some of those maybe a little more practical things in the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, um, regarding being wise. Because if you walk with a wise man or if you abide in the word or, or any one of these things we've been talking about, you'll get to, sometimes these things are really simple and they're really practical. So just jumping through them, Proverbs 14, 7 says, leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. So a great step for being wise is walking with the wise. The next great step is don't walk with fools. Proverbs 15, 14, the mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. If you, walk with, if you want to be wise, you're going to have to be willing to absorb wise things. You're going to have to be willing to absorb wisdom and knowledge. Our culture is obsessed with absorbing foolishness. Right? We're obsessed with watching as many stupid things done by stupid people as we can possibly cram into our lives. Right? Well, that's a great way to make yourself more foolish. If you want to be wise... Seek out knowledge. Chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, this one's really interesting because it feels like um, one of these verses that you could claim for yourself and you know, then go out and buy your cool car. Um, whichever cool car. Your, your like 1970s navy blue Mercedes convertible. You know, you could claim that if you wanted to. But really, what it's saying is um, if you commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts are going to align with His because you'll be walking with wise, and all of a sudden, you'll have wise desires. And guess what? The Lord wants to bring wise desires to pass. So He will align your thoughts with Him, and then He'll bring it to pass. Chapter 16, verse 9 The mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So if we want to be wise, it's okay to have a plan, right? It's okay to want that cool car. It's okay to want to move, or it's okay to, you know, buy a house or work hard at a job. It's okay to do, to have plans, right? But if we're going to be wise, we have to exist within the framework of, you know what? This world is not my home. God has a bigger picture that I may or may not be seeing. And so I want to be open. I want to live a life that's flexible enough that God can direct me and kind of tweak my vision if he needs to, right? That's wisdom. Um, Proverbs 20, we just got two more, don't worry. 20, verse 3. 
Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. Any fool can pick a fight, right? And the word for fool, it's a little bit of an old word, so you could, you know, make it a little more modern and say any idiot can start a fight, right? So if you are capable of engaging in political dialogue on Facebook or Twitter or your um, platform of choice, congratulations. Any idiot can do that, right? But it takes, you gotta, keeping away from strife is an honor, right? Wisdom and honor are very closely connected. They're not identical, but they're basically, they're, for practical purposes, they're roughly the same thing, okay? Or they lead to the same thing. They're, they're along the same pursuit. Um, so if you want to be wise, part of being wise is pursuing honor. Well, if you want to pursue honor, don't get yourself in stupid fights. Um, I don't think, I think I go ahead and say it. I don't think, let me back up. There's a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, written in the, in the mid-80s. And it was a book really on television, but it's kind of morphed into a book about technology over the years. And the guy made the interesting point. He said, the medium controls the metaphor. And what he meant by that was that the means by which you communicate is going to affect how you can communicate. And he, <clears throat> the simplest explanation of this is you can never have a ventriloquist on a radio program, right? Because to see a ventriloquist, you have to go see a ventriloquist. To listen to the radio, you're listening. They're completely disconnected. You can't have a ventriloquist on a radio. And this guy goes on, his name's Neil Postman, he goes on to make a really brilliant argument that basically, it's more or less impossible to have a truly seasoned, thought out, logical argument on a television screen. And you can get mad at me and say that, no, it's not. But I would argue that as our world is really digressed farther and farther on this path of technology addiction, I don't think you will ever change a person's mind over a social media comment, particularly a person who you've never met. I won't say it's impossible, but you and the other anonymous guy typing back and forth, I don't know if any of you guys do this, but just hypothetically, typing back and forth over somebody else's post, I won't say the Holy Spirit cannot work in that situation, because that would be putting God in a box. But I don't think you are really ever going to see any effective fruit from trying to engage in a dialogue via that medium. If you want to have a conversation with somebody, have a conversation, right? Um, I'm going to stop there on that one before I get too carried off. And then chapter uh, 23, verse 17, our last chunk for the night. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. So last couple thoughts. Live in the fear of the Lord always. Dad talked about this last Wednesday night. Right? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. That's your starting point. That understanding of what does it mean when I say the word God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Right? Who is God? What does that mean? And so if we can take ourselves out of this you know, cultural context of who is God and into no, who is God really as he describes himself. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want to be wise, don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't be jealous of sinners. They have really nothing going for them. It doesn't matter. They're, it's all going to die. It's all going to burn. It's all going to rot. Okay? Live in the fear of the Lord always. 
And then that last line in verse 19, he says, listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. He does not say, follow your heart in the way. He says, direct, right? Wisdom requires an understanding to say, here's the situation. Here's what God's word is saying. Here's what my emotions are saying. Here's what the world is saying. And I'm going to choose to navigate this in spite of my feelings, not via my feelings, right? I'm going to choose to step forward. I'm going to direct my heart. I'm going to tell my emotions what is appropriate right now. I am not going to say, I just have to be honest right here or whatever. I mean, you know, there's a time and a place to sort things out. But uh, our culture is a little too obsessed with having that time and that place at every moment. So you don't need to get everything out all at once, all the time, right? Direct your heart in the way. Be willing to tell yourself that you're going to come to the word of God expectantly. Be willing to tell yourself that you are going to assemble with the brethren. You are going to walk with the wise. That you are going to abide in Christ. Right? And is that, am I, am I then contradicting what we said about abiding in Christ? No. No. Because to abide in Christ means we have to stay connected to Christ. Right? If we let our emotions or the world's wisdom take over, we're separating ourselves from Christ. No branch bears fruit once it's cut off. So we choose to remain attached to the vine. We choose to abide in Christ, to abide in the word, to walk with wise men. And we get to experience and reap all the blessing that comes. We get to bear fruit, not because of what we're doing, but because of what the Lord is doing in our lives. Right? That's wisdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with wisdom. We pray that you would guide our hearts, that you would um, help us to understand things on a level that the world doesn't. Um, not, not for our own glory, but just to, to understand how to navigate this world. God, we want to be obsessed with knowing you more, with fellowshipping with you more. I pray that you would, that you would equip us. I pray that you would help us to abide in you. I pray that, that we would bear fruit through our relationship with you. And so, God, we just pray that you would have your way with us, that you would um, guide us and lead us and draw us near. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.